Well, we keep hearing about shortages when it comes to cold and flu medication, and that is certainly something that is in demand as we continue in the cold and flu season. We wanted to talk a little bit more about this and see if there is any advice to parents and other adults who are looking for this. And Anna Wolak, who is a family physician and an assistant professor at UBC, is joining us now. Dr. Wolak, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having me, and Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you as well. How, uh, how much of a problem or an issue is this at this point, or what are you hearing about these shortages of cold and flu medication? So this has been happening for a while. I've been seeing it since the summer where shelves have been gradually decreasing in stock to the point that maybe about November, December, the shelves were completely bare um, of adults and kids cold and flu medications and you know we know all about the acetaminophen and paris and ibuprofen for for kids um so i'm also hearing more and more people telling me both you know as my patients and socially a lot more people are are getting sick we we this is our first winter without any of the protections that we've had over the last two years. So viruses are transmitting like crazy and, and people are, are getting sick. And the usual over-the-counter remedies that they used to rely on, I mean, even lozenges, people are having a hard time finding finding their usual lozenges. So it's, it's starting to, to become more of an inconvenience and more of a problem for people. And do we know why it's continuing this way, whereas in the United States, other countries seem to not have the same problem or the same shortages that we're seeing on Canadian shelves? I suspect a lot of this is a supply and demand sort of thing that has been, that's been affecting us on all sorts of uh, goods. But the supply and demand problem when it comes to these medications, we know that We've had this problem with acetaminophen and ibuprofen, and it is happening in the U.S. now with um, children's ibuprofen and acetaminophen. So it may be just that it's coming down the chain. So we have the supply problem, but there's also the demand, and we can't necessarily control supply. Things will come when they come, but what we need to look at is controlling our demand. And how do you control demand for symptomatic cold and flu medications is essentially to stop transmission of of these viruses. I do want to add that one of the things is that these cold and flu medications are more for symptom relief rather than actually treating anything. So people can also tend to, there are some home remedies that people tend to rely on, like a lot of chicken soup, for example, and making sure they stay hydrated. But the the supply and demand balance, we need to make sure that we're reducing transmission of illnesses. We now have a new COVID variant, subvariant that is circulating. We are still in the midst of respiratory virus season, so we do have a few months to go. Right, and that's a good reminder. When we talk about, though, the, the medications, and like you said, it's symptom relief, but it is something as well, whether it's bringing a fever down or, or getting relief from those symptoms that, that people have come to rely on. What do you tell parents or, or adults looking for this if they're simply not able to find those medications? So a lot of things are um, after evaluation with your healthcare providers. So things like, for cough, if it's appropriate, you could try using things like honey. For congestion, to try to you know steam the area and try to to 
use nasal sprays, saline nasal sprays to try to clear the congestion, those sorts of things. So we try to, and, and a lot of this is, there are a lot of general things, but there are also very specific things that will need to be discussed with your own practitioner. But things like definitely staying hydrated. And like I said, there's, there is some there is some value in old school chicken soup, and every culture has chicken soup that's used when when you're sick. And there are studies that have shown that actual chicken soup can decrease um, congestion and can make you feel better. So there is some value to that. So it's a lot of home remedies that, unfortunately, or otherwise, people will need to to look back on and, and rely on rather than relying on what's on the shelf. All right. Uh, do you think, too, when you talk about the fact there are so many viruses flying around and we're seeing people, whether it's getting sick with a cold or with flu or with other respiratory viruses, is that also because we spent so much time masked and we spent time staying away from people that, were, uh, that people are a bit more vulnerable or that they just don't have the immunity? So we're actually seeing more and more studies debunking that thought, especially since we did have a flu and an RSV wave, not the flu, sorry, we did have an RSV wave, for example, last year. And we did see um, cold and flu virus, cold viruses going up a bit last year, though not to this extent. What we're actually seeing more now is the fact that we are not masked. And we are shoulder to shoulder. We're not social distancing anymore. And so it's easier for viruses to transmit. The theory of immunity death, as a lot of people had been referring it to, it to it initially, is gradually being discounted by a lot of scientific papers that are coming out. Okay. So, so what is your advice then? And I know that uh, you had posted about uh, taking those measures or those safety measures, and it really has, uh, at least it feels like we've gone into uh, the part of this where it's become an individual choice and, and, and people are kind of figuring out their own comfort level. What is so your advice then about people who maybe are uncomfortable or trying to figure that out? So first of all is, um, you know, when you're feel- feeling ill, of course, seek medical advice from your own healthcare professional. But like I said, we need to start looking at decreasing our demand and so decreasing virus, uh, decreasing getting infected and decreasing virus transmission. So make sure you get vaccinated to the maximum ability that you are able to for COVID. Make sure you're getting your flu shot and staying home if you're sick. All the layers of protection that we know about. Wearing a mask in indoor public spaces when you don't know if people are infectious, when you don't know what other people's um, vaccination status are, will be and making sure things are well ventilated and, you know, cleaning the air. Those are measures that regardless of what virus is circulating, those the, the cleaning the air and wearing masks, those are the best way to reduce transmission of any respiratory virus. And what about the type of mask? And I know we, it now feels like we've been having this conversation for years, and I think we, we have I been. We have. <laughs> but I, I had someone say to me just the other day, saying, look, I keep seeing people with cloth masks. I don't think they do anything. What's the point of that? So we moved past. So cloth masks were brought in in the beginning because there was a shortage of all the other masks, and we wanted something. But now the recommendation is an N95 respirator or equivalent, things that that are well-fitted and the actual material does have a static electricity component 
that helps trap the viruses. But if you can't get that, then a surgical mask, as long as it's well fitted, we worry about the gaps because if you have a gappy mask, then you're letting viruses and air in anyway. Cloth masks are not ideal, um, but for some people, they use it to cover a surgical mask because that helps fit it it a bit better if you can't get an N95. So cloth masks are the in the hierarchy of masks, they're the least um, useful. But if, let's say, there really isn't anything that you can use, there may be a place because it still will reduce physical transmission and have a barrier there. But ideally, we should be in well-fitted masks, hopefully N95s are equivalent. And for people that that are done with that and uh, are kind of not wearing masks and knowing that that with that, there is going to be perhaps an increased risk of transmission. Is that something that, again, people, that's the comfort level that people have agreed to. And that's kind of where we're at with this thing. Yeah. So I don't know. So so until messaging comes from from the government, for example, whether there would be more masks required. It's, it, people are now choosing where w- to wear masks and where to wear their masks. It's, it would be nice if people were wearing masks in essential areas, for example, like public transit, where people have to be. So people who don't have a choice as to where wearing a mask or not. One thing there is a mask mandate, though, is hospitals and healthcare settings. So doctors' offices and hospitals, there is still a mask mandate there because we want to protect our most vulnerable. But um, the the when it comes to people choosing their masks, uh, choosing whether to wear masks or not, if they choose not to wear a mask, at least please think of yourself and others and. You know, making sure you're staying home when you're asymptomatic, if you are symptomatic, if you have any sickness and, you know, covering your mouth when you cough and washing your hands after you cough with your hands, those sorts of things, just to try to minimize the transmission and be aware of everybody around you who may or may not have the same level of immune, immune competence that you have. All right. Dr. Anna Wolak, thank you, as always, for coming on the show. Appreciate your time today. Thank you for having me.